glad some of us are here this morning and grateful for the opportunity that others have to get, get away and rough it and enjoy the beautiful weather and the cooler weather. We're here to worship our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, and to fellowship with one another and to encourage one another. So that's a good thing for us to be here. Um, just to mention, starting next week, we're doing a new series called The Story of the Bible. And the subtitle of that is, I will be your God and you shall be my people. And so it's, it is what it says. It's going to be a five-week series, an overview of the whole Bible, putting together the whole story and recognizing that there's one un unfolding theme in the scriptures. And so it's a great time for, um, if especially those who don't know much about the Bible, if you've just dipped into parts of it along the way and aren't quite sure how to make sense of it all. Um, I, I can't guarantee we're going to make sense of it all for you, but we're going to make an effort. So we're pretty excited about the series and looking forward to just doing a big journey through the whole Bible in five weeks. So you can pray that we can actually do that. It's Labor Day, Labor Day weekend, and so it's a good time to talk about labor-related things. We're going to look at the Proverbs. The Proverbs are a book about wisdom. It's the overarching theme is to teach wisdom that is founded in the fear of the Lord. That is, it's in humble submission to and trust in the Lord. That's what it means to fear the Lord, humble submission to and trust in the Lord. Wisdom in the Proverbs is, a, is the sum of the biblical ethic to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and your neighbors, yourself, applied to practical everyday living. It, it gets into subjects that the rest of the scriptures don't always deal with. So it's, it's interesting how that plays out. In the Proverbs, wisdom is skill in godly living. It's, so wisdom is a skill, and to be skilled in godly living, it's, it's an expertise in choosing and doing what is right in God's sight out of a heart that delights in what is right in God's sight. And that's important. It's not just functionality, it's heart for God and heart for His, his ways. And recognizing that that plays out in the everyday uh, decisions and actions of everyday life. So today we're gonna, go, going to look at the subject of productivity. You may wonder if being productive is something God cares about and that the Bible has much to say about. So we're going to look at Proverbs 24, verses 30 to 34, and we'll look at other scriptures as well. But because Dan Gamaling thought this was a weird scripture to read, I'm going to have him read it. <laughs> so Dan, if you're still up for that, could you stand and read from that passage? Excited to get into this passage? We better, we better pray. Father, we're grateful that your word is not just all saying the same thing in every, every form, that it teaches and instructs us in many different ways. You, your book is 66 books of different types of literature and different times, different circumstances, and, 
And so help us this morning to um, hear what this passage says and, and to unpack what you mean by what this text says and how it applies to us. Help me by your spirit to make clear your word and, and give us hearts to receive the reality of how Christ fulfills what it is to be productive and how he helps us to be productive, understood what that means in your word. Give us understanding, Father. Help us in Christ's name. Amen. So in this text, we meet the sluggard, and so we're going to look at, um, there's 14 times in Proverbs the word sluggard is used. What, <clears throat> what is a sluggard? Um, in the Hebrew, it's actually two words. It's, it's one word for slow or idle, and another word for man. So to be a sluggard is to be a, an idle or a slow man. Uh, you could translate it slacker. Um, some versions do that. You could translate it the lazy person. But I like the word sluggard. We don't get to use it a whole lot. So, and it's in our main text. So we'll, we'll, we'll refer to it as sluggard, lazy person, other, other terms as well. Uh, so just looking at a, a handful of verses before we get into our main text. Uh, some characteristics of the sluggard. One is the sluggard avoids work. So Proverbs 21:25 says that the desire of the sluggard kills him for his hands refuse to labor. And by the way, don't be looking at anybody and nudging people <laughs> in this message. Uh, another characteristic of a sluggard is he rests too much. He takes too much downtime. Uh, some of us don't take enough downtime, but sluggards take too much downtime. Proverbs 26:14. This is very visual. It works very well, doesn't it? As a door turns on its hinges, so does the sluggard on his bed. <laughs> some of you just unhinged and barely made it in here this morning, right? <laughs> Another characteristic of the sluggard is he, he is unmotivated. He's overwhelmed by small tasks. Proverbs 26:15. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. You say, wow. I am, if I'm motivated by anything, I'm motivated to eat. That's very intense sluggardliness. Or another characteristic of the sluggard is he's paralyzed by irrational fears and excuses. Proverbs 22:13. The sluggard says, there's a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. I checked for lions on the way in, so nothing happening like that this morning that I know of. So uh, looking at this text in Proverbs 24, verse 30, we have, I'm going to call him the wise man. Solomon is the author uh, of most of the Proverbs. There are some other wise sayings that come from other authors, but he's the, the wise man, and he's, he may be a father instructing his son, probably. So he says, I pass by the field of a sluggard. So the wise man says he... He goes by the sluggard's field. He passed by the place where the sluggard could be productive. Um, the field could be producing crops or pasturing animals. It's, he could be passing by, today, he could be passing by a field. Some of us are still agrarian. We're in a much less agrarian culture than they were then. So it could be passing by the office building, the factory, the home business, uh, the retail store. You don't have to go out of your way to observe examples of productivity or the lack of it. Anywhere you look, you can see things that are, look like they're productive and, and doing well, other things they're not. 
He says, I passed by the vineyard of the man lacking sense. So he, he zeroes in on, on the vineyard. The grapevine or the vineyard was a very familiar and common crop in Israel. And it was used often as an imagery of, of Israel's fruitfulness in their relationship with God or, or, or not. Here he uses another description of the sluggard, a man lacking sense, literally a man lacking heart, a man lacking understanding. So in, in the Proverbs, laziness or sluggardliness, I made that word up, but maybe that works, is, is a form of lack of wisdom, which we already defined it, but I'll define it again in a little bit different words. Wisdom is lack of, a lack of wisdom is lack of fear of the Lord, means not living for God's glory as a steward, as a manager, as one who's responsible to make use of the life he has entrusted to you with its opportunities to grow and to serve others. God has designed us to be productive. It's, it's um, for his glory and for our good and, and the good of others. For his glory, our good, and the good of others. In other words, laziness in the Proverbs is not just like a personality thing. It's not, well, this person tends to be more lazy and this person tends to be more productive. No, in the Proverbs, it's a matter of righteous character or the lack of it. So in Proverbs 26, or excuse me, 21, 25, and 26, we, we saw one of these verses earlier. The desire of the sluggard kills him for his hands refuse to labor. That's verse 25. 21, 26 is... All day long he craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. In other words, the lazy person desires and craves things, but won't exert the effort to be productive. The righteous is able to produce, able to be productive, to provide for others by his work, whether by results or charity. And that's one thing we need to recognize, that, that work is for the good of others. Work produces things that are useful to people as well as just straight giving and charity. So the, the sluggard desires things, he, ne he never accomplishes anything, whereas the righteous person works and he's able to provide through his skills and, and her labors, as well as have enough to give in charitable sense. So giving by, by the pro product of your work and giving of the product of your work in a charitable way. The wise man, now back to verse 30 of, of 24, chapter 24, verse 30. The wise man takes a look specifically at the sluggard's vineyard within his field. That was what had been produced there, at least in the past. Grapes. This would have been the sluggard's primary means of productivity and income. Question is, what is your primary or specific area of productivity? We're going to say that throughout the productivity is, is this. What is productivity? Productivity is the results of faith-driven effort, effort based upon trust in God to glorify God and do good for others. So productivity is not just like cranking out things only, merely. It's about honoring God, glorifying God by doing good for others. So what's, but what's your primary area of productivity? Because we all have things that we do that through seasons of our life we're more involved in with others. So um, it could be your job, whether you're a barista, a banker, or a bus driver, or all three. In the medical field or military or ministry or administrative work and uh, auto mechanic or agricultural work, 
For others, your primary area of productivity may be your home and family. Now, all of us have home and family responsibilities, but talking about one whose main job is home and family-centered. And uh, so you could be a, a parent who cares for and supervises the children most of the time. That's a long word for a stay-at-home mom. But stay-at-home moms don't stay home a lot. They're always on the go, so that's not a very good description. Or your, your, your main uh, task of productivity could be primary caregiver for an elderly or ill family member. Or you could be more in a preparation phase of productivity, and, and productivity and preparation is still productivity. So your education, whether you're in grade school, middle school, high school, college, or job training phase, Verse 31, so he's observed, and he, this is what he sees. Behold, the vineyard was all overgrown with thorns, the ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Nettles are nasty things. Have you ever touched nettles before? They, they have kind of the reverse spines on them, and they kind of jump out. If you get close to them, and they work their way into your skin, they're nasty. So... He's saying, check this out. The wise man observes this total neglect. He just, total neglect. Um, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles. There were no grapes. If you don't remove weeds from the field or from the vineyard in the spring, then nettles and weeds of all sorts spring up from the cursed ground. Weeds are a result of the fall. They're a result of the curse. We live in a sin-ruined world. If we don't keep cutting back and spraying and uprooting thorns and nettles, they will take over. Blackberry bushes are deceptive, aren't they? They say, come here and enjoy my good fruit. Pay no attention to these big thorns and the fact I'm going to take over your whole yard, take over the planet. Put away that machete and the crossbow and enjoy my fruit. Blackberries are that way. Yeah, they are. They're, they're evil. Again, you don't have to go out of your way to see the lives that are wrecked by sin, the financial ruin, the health ruin, the broken relationships, the life that seems to have little purpose or passion or is, or is purposeful and passionate about the ungodly things due to neglect to beat back the bad, breaking bad, sorry, or due to neglect to repair the, the, repair the bad and build up and cultivate the good. So verse 32 is a hinge verse in this passage because he's walking along, he sees these things, and then he stops and says, I think I'm supposed to be getting something from this. He says, then I saw and considered, I looked and received instruction. The wise man reflects on and ponders what he's seeing. He's thinking, how did this vineyard fall into such a ruined state? Can't even find a lousy grape on it. What can I learn? What, what's the takeaway from this? What can we learn from observing the lives that are ruined by, who are ruined in financial wreckage, in addiction, broken relationships? What can we take away from seeing lives that have lost zeal for the things of God, the things of the gospel, his word and his people?
Well, verse, verses 33 and 34 um, are what he takes away, and we have something to learn from what he learned. In verse 33, he says, this is what I observe. This is my takeaway. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. A little, a little, a little. A little, a little neglect here, a little procrastination there. A little failure to get going, a little ceasing to keep going. A little excuse, a little avoidance, a little tolerating of sin, a little compromise, just a little one. I can handle that. Becomes easier to put off or harder to commit to or harder to stop. And so, true of the next day, and the next week, and the next month, and the next year. In verse 34, and he says, and the result is, in poverty, like a robber, will come upon you. Like a robber, poverty, unexpected and unwanted, will steal and destroy the good that you had, ruin, lack of productivity, Failure to accomplish the good that you could have done will blindside you. Like, man, how did that happen? How did I not do this? Or how did I do this? Want, lack of loss of productivity will overtake you like an armed warrior, literally is what that's saying. By the way, this was, must have been a very important principle because this same verses 33 and 34, little sleep, little slumber, poverty will come, is quoted exactly in, in Proverbs chapter 6. Just as a point of reference. He's saying, then, once this comes down, or once the productivity fails, or the bad productivity comes, it's too late to avoid the, the destruction and the, the deprivation. You were free to make your choices. You are not free to choose the consequences. So what did the wise man learn? I have this on the slide, I think. Lack of habitual discipline and diligence leads to ruined productivity. Lack of habitual discipline and diligence leads to ruined productivity. Or in other words, deprivation and devastation are not the result of one decision, usually, but the result of a process, a series of little by little by little choices or non-choices. Are there ways you might be more productive for the Lord in your work? And as Christians, we want to be productive for the Lord. And again, being productive is faith-driven effort that does good and glorifies God. How about in your home and family? Ways of being more God-centered productivity there? Or in your disciplines of prayer or Bible study? More intentional in how you walk with the Lord? How about for your health? Be a good steward of your health or in your education. What are your longings in these areas that just never seem to get traction? 
Think of how you have regretted a long pattern of neglect, the pain it causes, the good that never results. And ask yourself, what are those little weaknesses or areas of compromise that you have tolerated for weeks or months or years that are eroding your walk with the Lord? In your relationships, in your work or your education? What attitudes or habits do you need to change today to ensure you're going to act on what you know you should be doing? What are the ways that you waste time that constantly rob you of productive momentum? I'm not talking about never taking time for recreation and refreshment. I'm just asking, do you have enough of a sense of purpose to know when you're wasting time and when you're not? In Ephesians 5, and I think I have this on the slide as well, verses 15 and 16, Ephesians 5, 15, Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So how is he talking about specifically being walking wise, living wisely before the Lord? In verse 16, making the best use of the time because the days are evil, because thorns crop up and nettles and walls break down. Does God care how we use our time? John Piper uh, wrote in a book, Don't Waste Your Life, aimless, unproductive Christians contradict the creative, purposeful, powerful, merciful God we love. Aimless, unproductive Christians contradict the creative, purposeful, powerful, merciful God that we love. On the other hand, let's turn this around to the positive. If lack of habitual daily diligent effort leads to ruined productivity, then the opposite process has good results. Habitual discipline and diligence leads to fruitful productivity. A little diligence here, a little discipline there, a little faith-driven effort here. The cumulative effect produces good, fruitful productivity. The secret to your success and my success in being productive is in your daily routine. The best predictor of what you're going to be doing a year from now is what you're doing today. Focus a little bit more on at what is worth being productive in. What is good to, for us to do to be productive? We've kind of talked somewhat about that, but we'll get a little bit more specific exploration of that. Um, it was pretty straightforward for the sluggard. He had a, probably inherited this grape arbor, and that was his job, was to maintain and keep that weeded and, and fruitful and growing. And it seems like it was simpler in the good old days where you just had crops and animals and easy to tell what, whether you're succeeding in that or not. But an, an obvious good thing in which to be productive is legitimate work because that does good for others. And we do it as unto the Lord, if you're in Christ. God created us for work. We know that from Genesis in chapter 1. Uh, God commissioned the first people to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And in Genesis 2.15, he put them in a garden to work it. 
And so even before the fall, God wanted people to be productive in doing good by shaping and making things with his creation, making it more useful. He wanted us to produce agriculture, um, housing, craftsmanship, art, buildings, transportation, cities. Ecclesiastes, another wisdom book, 9.10, says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. In Proverbs 14.23, In all toil there is profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Theodore Roosevelt said, Far and away the best prize that life offers is the chance to work hard at, at work worth doing. Maybe an overstatement, but, but yes, good work is good. Does this mean that it doesn't matter what biblically legitimate legal job that we work as long as we're working? Well, there comes a time for that where you just need to get a job and work. But of course, we're going to be more effective and more productive if we enjoy what we do and, and are becoming skilled in it. We need to learn the basic principle, hopefully from your parents, your learning, that habitual Discipline and diligence leads to fruitful productivity. Because even though most of us have many, may have aptitudes and physical or mental capacities to be better at some things than others, none of us develop skills without regular, habitual discipline, a little, a little, a little. Someone was describing how they learned about bow hunting over the years. They've been bow hunting for several years, and I'm not a bow hunter. But they said they learned, for example, that when they go in with a group of like three or four or five or six people, that you all have to walk in step at the same time so you don't sound like a bunch of a herd of people. You sound like one animal. She told me that um, when they spot deer and the deer see them, they take their bows and stick them over their heads so they look like antlers. Handy tip, that one's for free if you're a bowhunter. <laughs> and so there's a lot of skill, but she, she's gained it cumulatively over the years about what it takes to get Bambi a bow. <laughs> They're not all Bambi. They're pests. It is the, the rare person that Nobody doesn't, just comes into a skill without lots of practice. Music, they may have a natural gifting toward it, but they, they've got to develop the skill. Fitness, sports, quilting, business, law enforcement. Proverbs 13.4 says, The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. It is the sluggard... The lazy person who is always wishing he or she could be good at something, get a good job, accomplish this goal, or have a goal in the first place. Hey, got a goal? Finish this project, get this degree, overcome this bad habit or sin or addiction, learn or improve this skill, improve this relationship, save this money, get out of the debt, get organized or overcome problems in your marriage or parenting. But they never apply wise, diligent, persistent, little by little effort. And they don't get why things never change. Anything worth accomplishing requires regular, repetitive, diligent, disciplined effort. It's true that if we're in Christ, he helps us, he empowers us. 
in our efforts to live for him, in our labors to be productive for him, but we still must exert intentional effort. Absolutely, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We cannot earn his saving love by what we do, no matter how productive we are. But our Lord does expect that we will be productive with what he entrusts to us. Some of you may be familiar with, it's called the parable of the talents that Jesus tells in Matthew 25. So just kind of give you a sketch of that. Jesus tells this parable in which a man goes on a journey, entrusting some of his assets to his servants in the form of talents, which basically were gold or silver weights that were used as money. To one he gave five, to another he gave two, to another he gave one each according to his ability. That's how God distributes. He doesn't ask us to do things he's not provided the resources for us to do. The first two doubled the amount he gave them, and he's, what he doesn't say is, well, that's nice, but really wasn't expecting you to be productive with what I gave you. That's not very spiritual. No, he said, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. The servant that received the one talent went and buried it. When the master returned, he asked his servant for an accounting. The servant makes a bunch of excuses, basically saying, Master, I knew you were impossible to please. You're no help at all. You're undeserving and unfair and unjust. Kind of amounts to what he said. The master rebukes him and said, You wicked and slothful servant. You lazy servant. You sluggard. And he sends him into punishment. You could have invested it. That's easy. Sometimes. What kind of productivity does Jesus want from us anyway? the productivity in every area of our lives that comes by being, as it says in Colossians 1, filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. He fills us, and we pray for one another and for us to be filled with God-centered wisdom and, and understanding. So as, verse 10 of Colossians 1, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Similarly, in Ephesians 2, we're saved by grace through faith. That's not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. But we are his workmanship, Ephesians 2.10, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God's already provided for us to do the good works. It's just up to us to intentionally exert faith-driven effort to do them. In 1 Corinthians 15, we're always abounding in the, in the work of the Lord, to always be abounding in the work of the Lord. So the essence of God-centered, gospel-driven productivity is this. We are to use all that we have in all areas of life for the good of others to the glory of God. And this is the most exciting life. You're never bored. It's not boring, at least even battling for this to happen. Because it is a battle. 
God and gospel-centered productivity means to be on the lookout to do good for others to the glory of God in all areas of life and to do this with creativity and competence. Yeah, we're, we're to develop skill at something. And that changes with different seasons of our lives as we get older and, and so on. It, but we can always be productive in some, some fashion, some manner. In our jobs, in our family, in our marriage, in our parenting. Parenting is really takes a lot of faith. You're sowing seeds, and it's not always immediately evident that anything's taking. So it's a great teacher that way. In our education, in our relationships with others and with Christ. Um, Romans 12, 11 says, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. I'm grateful that Jesus Christ, who lived the most productive life ever, who did all things well, could say to God the Father, I glorified you on earth. How? Having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Because what he accomplished is our hope at our massive failures in productivity. We produce the wrong things. We don't produce the right things. He accomplished forgiveness of all the sins of those who trust in him, including all of our time-wasting sins, our procrastinations, our ruining good things that he has entrusted to us. He saved us not, of course, because we are productive, but so that we could be productive. I'm also grateful he is zealous for us to live an abundant life, that he gives us instruction in his word. We can learn from our past failures, that he convicts and calls and empowers us to fruitful and productive living for his glory and our good and our joy and the good of others. John Wesley, back in the 1700s, founder of what later became called Methodism, said, do all the good you can by all the means you can in all the things you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you can. So I'm going to pray, but before I do that, does anybody have any rebuttals or any questions? Anything you want to ask or say? I'll, I'll, I'll let one or two of you talk. You're asking the wrong person. <laughs> what is the right way to, way to rest? Throw it out to the audience. Let God after you work. Say it again. Let God after you work. Yeah. What, what refreshes you? I mean, there's a pattern of one day in, in seven. So we have all kinds of jobs that work all kinds of different hours that are all different kinds of situations. And some of us are like 24-7 sort of on call. And so you've got to find some, something that refreshes you and, and is, uh, refreshes your heart, refreshes your body. So physical exercise, musical refreshment, 
relational refreshment? Are you more charged by being with people? Are you more charged by, by being alone? Thanks for asking the tough question. All right, I will pray and then uh, we'll continue our worship. Father, as Jesus said, my father is always working and I'm always working. You have given us the gift of work and productivity and you've given us the gift of rest. Christ is our rest. We rest from seeking to earn your favor, certainly to earn our salvation, to earn your love by being productive. We, we rest in that sense. We find joy in being fruitful. We find you supplying strength and grace and help. You give us opportunities to do good, to use our gifts, our natural gifts, our times, our talents, our treasures, our spiritual gifts. You give us people to serve. Thank you, Father, that we can be like you because we're created in your image. And we can, be, we can produce things, works of art, works of music, works of architecture, works of science, of transportation, of technology, of relationship help. Thank you that we get to help grow people and be grown by others. Thank you for this church that serves you diligently and faithfully. Help us all to grow in wisdom and, and effectiveness, Father, and how you want us to serve you together for the cause of the gospel for works of mercy, for just encouraging one another, building one another up. Forgive us for the many ways that we have failed in being biblically productive. Thank you for the grace of, of being productive for your kingdom and for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.